Welcome back to the Adrenaline Podcast. This is episode three, a pretty special episode. We're talking international lacrosse today, uh, which I think is appropriate with, as I'm sitting here, the World Games about to begin in Netanya, Israel. Uh, and I just recently returned from a trip to Japan where I was working with the University of Tokyo lacrosse team a relationship that I've had for about 20 years now. I've been working with that team and have been going back and forth to Japan, have hosted uh, many of their players and coaches and alumni and families here in the U.S. and Ann Arbor as well. And that's really what we're going to talk about today is uh, the growth of international lacrosse and specifically what's going on in Japan. And we're going to be highlighted by an interview I did the other day with three of the principal guys uh, with the University of Tokyo lacrosse team uh, that we'll hear from in a little in a little while, Shun Sato, who is their senior captain and team leader this year, uh, Tomohiro Hori, who is their coach. He's a graduate student at University of Tokyo, played there, and is now coaching. Uh, and Mikio Yamaguchi, a guy I've known almost 20 years, is one of the best players to ever play for the University of Tokyo. Uh, who is now, uh, aside from his professional life outside of lacrosse, is their general manager and oversees running the team and, and deciding on its, its future direction and, and making sure that logistically they have everything in place. So I uh, had a great interview, had a great sit down with those guys. They all speak great English, fortunately, and you'll hear from them in a little bit. But, but let's talk a little bit about lacrosse in Japan. Uh, first question you may have is there's lacrosse in Japan. And, and yes, there is. Not only is there lacrosse in Japan, it's been there uh, over 30 years now. 32 years lacrosse has been in Japan. From humble beginnings, when um, Bob Scott, who was Johns Hopkins' uh, famous former coach, sent over some sticks uh, by request um, to get lacrosse started over there. Uh, the next that was in 1986, and the next year in '87, the Japan Lacrosse Association was formed. That's their version of of our U.S. lacrosse. Uh, and Don Zimmerman, then head coach at Johns Hopkins, went over and held the first lacrosse clinic in Japan and worked directly with Keio University. Uh, Keio is one of the dominant programs. Uh, college programs in Japan and and was the first college program in Japan and then in 88 the next year uh, they already had seven college teams it grew that fast and they started their lacrosse student league that uh, that growth since 88 has uh, has been phenomenal there are now over 130 men's college teams in Japan and even more women's college teams. There's lacrosse at that level everywhere. And then uh, quite a few very organized and structured men's and women's club teams as well for people to play on after college uh, that take themselves really seriously and play you know, good, hard 
lacrosse. They practice a lot. They, they, uh, they're pretty structured and organized. Um, and that men's uh, club system is kind of the foundation of their national team, where a lot of their national team players, most of their national team players come from. What they don't have yet in Japan is uh, a lot of youth and high school lacrosse. There are a handful of high schools playing. When I first started going over there 20 years ago, there was one, uh, KO High School, which is obviously a feeder of KO University, which gave them a pretty big advantage. But now there are a handful. Uh, but what you're seeing in Japan now is a lot of the guys who've been playing um, or who played over the last 30 years as the sport has grown now have kids uh, and are you know professionals in their in their business lives, and they want their kids to have even better opportunities than they had. So you know, one of the days that that I was in Japan on this last trip, I was there for a couple weeks uh, after a scrimmage against uh, Kyoto University. A lot of the alumni brought their kids. The kids all had sticks and the Tokyo players put on a little clinic for the kids. And as that process grows, as, as more and more of these alums of all the college programs in Japan uh, have kids and want their kids to have more opportunities, I think in, in that country, that's how the next step is gonna be taken. Youth lacrosse will grow, high school lacrosse will grow. Uh, Right now, though, if you watch the Japanese national team, for example, play, uh, it's incredible how good these guys are considering that virtually none of their players, maybe a couple, but virtually none of their players picked up a stick until they got to college. And we're going to talk about that, or we talked about that a little bit with the, the Tokyo guys you'll hear from in a little while and how that development system works, how they develop people so quickly. Uh, and... And, and how they're able to take somebody who's never seen the sport or has very little contact with the sport, gets to college, picks up a stick for the first time, and, and three or four years later, they're a legit college lacrosse player. Um, <clears throat> my history in Japan, uh, which has been really interesting, I, I started, again, working with the University of Tokyo team almost 20 years ago. Uh, and I inherited that relationship from a guy named Ron Hebert. Ron's one of the most influential coaches here in the state of Michigan, has been and still is a longtime high school coach in Michigan, has been successful wherever he's been, has won state championships at programs like Brother Rice and Cranbrook, uh, and then was the coach at Northwood University, which for a few years had an NCAA Division II varsity program in Midland, Michigan. Uh, and was their only coach for the few years that that program existed. And during that time, he, uh, I think from an introduction from Dave Morrow, the founder of Warrior, uh, who was doing some business in Japan selling lacrosse equipment, obviously, and supporting the Japan, the growth of the game in Japan uh, through that relationship because Ron coached Dave in high school, um, was linked up with the University of Tokyo. And then when the Northwood program was cut, Ron uh, had to start doing some other things professionally, he didn't have time to go over anymore, or, and he didn't have an opportunity to host uh, their players anymore, and he asked me to take over as the club coach at the time at Michigan, and, and we did. And at that time, uh, what we started doing was we would host at first four and then six of the Tokyo players in the spring. They would come over in, in March or April for about three weeks and live with our guys, uh, and practice with us 
and just learn as much as they could about lacrosse. They, they would take notes on everything our coaching staff and our guys said. They would obviously, they would learn a lot about American college culture, which is very, very different than Japanese college culture. Uh, they would work out. They would, um, they would have a great social time with our guys, but, but mostly they were selected by their team to come over and, and become as good as they could at lacrosse in those three weeks and take back whatever they learned. I remember the first year they came, and they had a notebook with them and they would take notes on everything I said and they wanted meetings all the time and they wanted extra practice all the time. And this notebook had a lot of Japanese writing all over it. And I asked them, what does that say? I can't read Japanese. I can speak a little bit, but can't read Japanese. I said, what does that say? And they said, uh, these are notes from all of our teammates and they're notes saying things like, um, act with honor and learn as much as you can and be diligent and work hard. And, I remember that that first time having those guys at our place and, and hearing that and just thinking, you know, wow, these guys, like their team actually sent them over with these notes, uh, not telling them, you know, have a great time, party it up, uh, telling them, like, be respectful, work really hard. These are, these are college peers telling them, um, you know, represent us well. Those were the notes they had on the notebook and they took that so seriously. The other thing that they brought every year when we used to have them practice with us was it was at a time in the season when you'd been playing lacrosse for a month or two and, and maybe, you know, you'd been practicing all fall and maybe the team practices were starting to get a little bit flat. Everybody's tired. School's tough. It's midterms. Uh, you've been going a long time. The excitement of the start of the season is over and now you're in that grind of the middle of the season. And these guys had such incredible passion and brought such energy and they were so excited and fired up to be there. It was contagious. Our guys caught on to that and, and ate it up and, and it helped us uh, in the middle of our season to have them with us. They would travel with us when we had road games, they, they would be with us, embedded with our team, do everything except playing games, basically, for those three weeks that they'd be with us. And then once we went Division One at Michigan, we couldn't do that anymore. NCAA rules didn't allow it. So uh, I introduced them to John Galvin at the University of Colorado, and they're now doing the same thing with the University of Colorado, going over there and, and having a similar experience with the Colorado players and coaches. But, uh, but I still have this ongoing relationship with their team. Um, I think this last trip was probably about my 15th or 16th trip to Japan to work with the University of Tokyo team. I work with their coaches. I work with their players and, and uh, talk to them about program building, talk to them about tactics and, and teaching technique. And um, it had been three years. I didn't have as much time when I was a Division One coach to do it as I did when I was a club coach. And uh, so it was great to be back over and and have an impact on what they're doing. Their team this year has an opportunity to be pretty good. I think they could contend for a national title. Uh, they've won one since I've known them, but they've been very close many times. Uh, they're kind of like uh, kind of like Maryland. They're always in the mix. Um, and in the last you know twenty years, they, they've gotten one. I think they've got two total. Um, and so they're they're always right there, and uh, and I'm hoping that you know whatever I can do with them this year can help put them over the hump. I'm actually excited to be going back over there in September to see how they progressed, and that'll be right in the midst of their season. Their season is in the fall, and the championships are in December. So 
so anyway, it's a great relationship. Um, for me personally, as much as it's about lacrosse, it's also about friendships. I've been going over long enough that have developed, I've developed some great friendships and have, 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 you know, it's enjoyable just to see all these guys, just like my teams here at Michigan, but to see all these guys that I've coached, uh, you know, 15 years ago, 18 years ago, 12 years ago, who are now professionals, many of them have kids, and to catch up with those guys and see what's going on in their lives uh, is, is really special. So going over for me um, feels a lot like reunions here when I, when I get to see our former players here as well. Um, with the World Games starting up, the Japan national team, uh, we'll talk about this a little bit in the interview with the Tokyo guys, the Japan national team is, uh, is in the World Games last championships in Denver they got knocked out of the top blue division when they lost to Scotland and so you know they're really hungry to get back into the blue division which they have an opportunity to do they have a good team in fact uh, the Tokyo team scrimmaged while I was there one of the men's club teams the Falcons the Falcons are basically their national team most of the players on the Falcons make up their national team so I got to see their national team um, in action uh, it was, it was relatively lopsided. You know, again, we were playing with a bunch of guys who had had sticks in their hands no longer than three years. And they had a bunch of grown men who'd been playing for a while and they were the best of the best in the country. So, uh, did some good things, but, but their national team looked good. They play in a really unique style. Um, stick skills are strong They're As you can imagine, they're fast. They're really fast. Uh, they fly around. And one of the most interesting things about them is, is they play a really fast style of lacrosse. They're the fastest style of lacrosse team I've ever seen. They make a team like Albany look slow the way they play. They're pressing out everywhere. They're 10-man riding. Their offense is nonstop cutting and ball movement. It's, it's pretty incredible. One of them asked me actually after the game, uh, is there any Division One team that you could compare us to? And I said, no. <laughs> there's nobody there's nobody who plays as fast as you guys do it's it's the fastest lacrosse I've ever seen and and that's just their style they want to play a, a really quick attacking style lacrosse which I think can hold up well against some of the countries that aren't quite as skilled it'll be interesting to see you know how that plays out against uh some of the teams that are, are more skilled than they are um so uh that's coming up now it'll be interesting to see how they how they progress in this uh, world games in, in Israel. But in the meantime, you know, the next segment of this program, we're going to be talking to the three guys from the university of Tokyo team. They're the blue bullets. That's their, uh, team name. And, uh, and that's up next. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> All right, we are back, and I'm with a few friends of mine here in Tokyo. <coughs> I want to introduce Shun Sato. Hello. Uh, hello. <laughs> Tomohiro Hori. Hi. And Mikio Yamaguchi. Hi. So, uh, guys, I want to introduce each of you, but I'm going to start with you, Mikio, because I've known okay. you almost 20 years now. Yeah. We've known each yes. other, right? Yeah. And, uh, and so why don't you, you mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about, you know, what you're doing now mm -hmm. and how you got started in lacrosse 20 years ago at yeah. Tokyo. Okay. So I'm a general manager of the University of Tokyo lacrosse team. 
I started lacrosse 1999, that yeah. means uh, 20 years ago. So, of course, at that time, the lacrosse was not so popular in Japan. Uh, fortunately, uh, my cousin was playing lacrosse. And friends, uh, brother's friends was playing lacrosse in high school, actually. So I knew lacrosse before entering university. So that's why I knew lacrosse. The good part of lacrosse was a uh, very new sport. We have chance to be a national member. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, lacrosse, the, even now, uh, the practice is morning, right? <laughs> From like seven or seven thirty, yeah. So we can enjoy the you know university life. So that's why I started lacrosse. So that's back then, especially that's pretty unique that you actually knew about lacrosse yeah. before you got to campus yeah, and started playing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what did you love about it? Um, firstly, uh, like you know, speed and you know the the, the sport itself is very. Uh, interesting yeah and also you know like we have a big community and strong community so across the players are very friendly you know not only Japanese but also American English Thailand mm -hmm. everywhere they're very friendly so I love lacrosse now yeah. so you've seen it change a lot over the years I mean when you started yeah. in 1999 yeah. lacrosse in Japan was only 12 years old yeah right yes, so yes. There were, I don't know how many college teams there were back then. Mm -hmm. Now there are over a hundred. There are many yeah, college kind of. teams. How many were, were playing? Um, in all over in Japan, I think 30, 40 yeah. teams were in Japan. Yeah. And now I think more than a hundred. Right. Yeah. And so even more women's yeah, teams, right? Yeah. 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 Even yeah. More yeah. Teams. yeah. So it's growing. Yeah. It yeah. keeps growing, yeah. which is, it's great to see. Yeah. So, uh, Tomo, how about you? You're, uh, you're the head coach now mm -hmm. of the team, mm -hmm. and you're a graduate student mm -hmm. at Tokyo. You mm -hmm. just finished playing uh, a year ago. Yeah, two years ago. Two years ago, yeah. yep. And so, uh, how, how is it being a student and a coach at mm -hmm. the same time? Um, it's actually very interesting because, you know, I was playing with my players two years ago together, yeah. and now I'm a coach in um, different position. It feels kind of weird, but... Um, I think we're, our relationship is a bit different from what's in USA. Yeah. We're more like friends playing lacrosse together, but I just, you know, our positions are different. So our relationship is a bit different, but, you know, it's really fun. I love mm. coaching lacrosse. I, I kind of see the, the Japanese coaches of the college teams because you guys are all younger mm -hmm. as more like big brothers, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You're, there to, you're there to provide advice. Mm -hmm. Is that how you would describe it? Yeah, so, you know, um, I think in USA, the coaches are much more strict, more yeah. strict, you know. But in Japan, we're not that way. Most of the time, you know, our players make a strategy, tactics, practice, and what's the role, uh, the role of coaches are to, you know, just give some advice, um, just mentor them. It's something like that. It might be different. Mm -hmm. What do you miss about playing? Um, well, there are two things I love, I love about lacrosse. Number one is the individual creativity. You know, there are so many things you can do with a um, stick. And number two, um, there are so many tactics. You can do so many things you know, as to adjust to the game. And as a coach, you can you know, feel the disaster of number two tactics. But 
as a coach, you know, I can't handle the stick anymore. So right. you know, I just missed the creativity of the game. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. I do too. Yeah. <laughs> no question. Which leads me to Shun, who is a senior captain and long stick midfielder on the team. And as uh, Tomo was just talking about, the, the captains on the team or the leaders on the team are the ones who, who really run the team in many ways. So um, just talk about how you're able to juggle being a student at really the top university in Japan mm -hmm. and run a lacrosse team. Well, I, it was very hard when I, when I started this year at the beginning because, you know, like, there's no correct things, you know, to choose. So we have to choose from, like, you know, like, a lot of things. We have to, like, make decisions. Yeah. But you don't know what, what is right or correct. So I was having trouble with it. And... Well, what was like lucky for me because was um like mostly we don't have coaches at the start of the year, but like well Mikio-san um uh, like helped me a lot that we had a coach we had we had Tomo from the start of the year, so they they supported me a lot that you know to put me on the rail you didn't have as much pressure to do it all by yourself right mm -hmm. they, they were there to yeah. offer advice and, and help you make some of those mm -hmm. decisions um how did you start playing lacrosse so mickey had talked about how he already knew about it mm -hmm. which is pretty amazing considering lacrosse was still so young in japan at the time did you know about it before you yeah i did but i don't know why <laughs> yeah i somehow i somehow knew it did you know you wanted to play well, like, I used to play rugby, yeah. and, like, you know, I, yeah, same as Mikira, and, like, I just wanted to start new sports, because, like, starting, like, soccer at the college is, like, almost impossible, you know, because mm -hmm. all the people start, at like, when they're, like, uh, five years old. Sure, right. And that was the best point about lacrosse. And like I, I was, I wasn't athletic, so I chose sports that you know you can do a lot, lot with that, you know. Without being a super athlete, mm -hmm. like yeah. football, you have to be a super athlete to play. But you, uh, but you obviously like sports that have contact and uh -huh. are physical. Right? Yeah, and you played rugby <laughs> before this. I did. So, yeah, <laughs> you play defense now, uh -huh. so you, yeah, you like to bang around a little. <laughs> So anybody listening probably detects, you know, all three of you obviously speak really good English. Um, you have a bit of an accent to an American, <laughs> right? How'd you get that accent? Well, I don't notice because I... You don't, but I do. I <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was from living where? Oh, yeah. I used to live in Australia when I was yeah. like 10 or something. Right. For about like three years. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I have like Australian accent. Yeah, a little bit of English and Australian, <laughs> no doubt. Um, what do you think, any of you guys can answer this, what do you think are some of the biggest differences between lacrosse in Japan and lacrosse in America? Well, the biggest difference is the time we start lacrosse, because we start in college, mm -hmm. that like, in, in the U.S., you know, the year is like building a team, mm -hmm. but 
we don't at the start of the year we don't know what the team will be like that's the biggest difference i think right because the players are still growing a lot and like even they are like senior i think that's the biggest difference mm-hmm. and you guys have a system for how you build your teams right because you have all these players that are just starting out so you really have three teams within the tokyo team mm-hmm. you have the freshman team which is literally guys learning to throw and catch and how to use lacrosse sticks. And then the B team, which is an opportunity to continue to develop. And then the A team is your top college team. So I guess to you, Mikio, like when, when you were here and the program was only about 10 years old when you started, yeah. um, how were they coming up with like how they taught the freshmen and what they were teaching them? And yeah. Completely different actually. Yeah. You know, like, uh, uh, 20 years ago, the freshman couldn't throw when left hand, you know. So usually uh, now the players uh, throw and catch very correctly, but uh, 20 years ago, you know, many players couldn't throw correctly, you know, catch in left hand. That's the start one. So I think uh, every year we could, you know, uh, pile up or, you know, like uh, getting the knowledge, right? Thanks to like you, uh, we got knowledge from the uh, American coach and some, you know, thanks to YouTube, we can see. Absolutely. The, yeah, that makes learn. a big difference. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's amazing that we didn't have all that no, 20 no, years ago. No. You just had to learn yeah, yeah, yeah. by yourself. Yeah. Right? 20, years, 20 years ago, we had only like VHST, you know, yeah, tape. That's right. Uh, American and Canada, like yeah. the World Cup yeah. final or something. Yeah. So every, every day, yeah, you're watching. Video. You're watching Gary Gate. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we were all watching Gary Gate. Um, why? Why do you guys think lacrosse is growing so fast in Japan? I think uh, you know many players uh, loved lacrosse a lot. You know, you know, like the sport is great. And, community is very great you know even now I'm 38 years old you know so we have a big uh, community in Japan and uh, you know good friends even like we share the uh, work as well so we uh, think thanks to lacrosse we grew a lot not only as an athlete but you know like humanity or you know like sure more, yeah mentally and so we want to give same things to the younger generation. So that's why, you know, uh, we take time, you know, a lot to, as a volunteer. Right. I think the, the uh, second part, uh, second thing of the big difference between American and Japanese and across is uh, the money, actually, pound. Yeah. So mainly, I know the American teams have a lot of money because uh, and NCAA is, you know, like organized and uh, sponsors are there. Mm-hmm. But in Japan, no sponsor, no support from the university, actually. And, like, the old boys pay money. And uh, also players' family pay money. Right. Okay. So the coaches and, of course, general managers and other staff are very, very, very volunteer. So no support, actually. Right. But even... Even that situation, uh, people and old boys uh, support the players. The, the reason is 
uh, thanks to lacrosse, we learned a lot. So you want to give back. Yes, yeah. that's right. Well, I can certainly relate to that because when I started coaching at Michigan, we were a club team and we didn't have support from the university and we had to raise our own money and the players paid. So very similar and the coaches were all volunteers. So in many ways, it's a very similar situation. Um, what do you think are some of the, the real challenges to growing the sport in Japan? I mean, right now there's no, there's not a lot of youth lacrosse. There's very little high school lacrosse in Japan. And that's obviously a pretty important next step for the sport to keep growing. What are some of the challenges to make that happen? So our next big step would be to spread lacrosse at the youth level. So we have so many college lacrosse teams, more than 100 maybe. But at the high school level, we only have three or four high school you know, men's lacrosse teams. And if we want to get closer to lacrosse in USA and Canada, we need to spread population at that level. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we have... We don't have many teachers or parents that can mm -hmm. teach the sports of lacrosse right now, you know, because it only lacrosse has started in, in Japan about 30 years ago. So you know, the oldest guy is only like 50 years old. So which is pretty old. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> let me tell you. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, I think well, time will so, um, give us solutions, but we just need to spread the sports at youth level, especially high school level, right? I think that's such an important point. And so the same thing was happening in America as the sport spread west from the mm -hmm. East Coast, where there weren't enough coaches out there. There weren't people who had played lacrosse or had kids out there. And it was not until a lot of people started to move to the West that played lacrosse uh, and started working and having kids out there and wanted to coach their kids that it really started growing fast. And it's an interesting point. I really never thought about it here in Japan that way. This generation of lacrosse players who are Mikio's age and, and even older are having kids that are getting older. They want their kids to play. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's where some yeah. of the pressure will come and some of the resources will come mm -hmm. to create more opportunities yeah. for young people. Um, so players start playing here in college, mm -hmm. right? Which is actually what I did too. Mm -hmm. uh, and they I'm always amazed so that when I'm talking to the players here, many of them want to compare themselves to the Division One athletes in, in the U.S. that they see mm -hmm. on the videos that they watch and everything else. And, and sometimes they're a little frustrated that they're not there, even though they haven't been playing very long. I always am amazed at how good they are, considering that they've only been playing lacrosse for two or three years when mm -hmm. I see them here. Why do you think the Japanese players are able to get as good as they get without the resources that they have, without professional coaches, and not maybe not playing until they're in college. Like what is it that, that allows them to get so good so fast? Because the players think a lot, mm -hmm. I think. You know, we, we have to figure out by ourselves. And like, even like doing the wall, wall drill, yep. we have to, we always think how to get well, right. better. Mm -hmm. Right. I mm -hmm. think that's the biggest reason. Yep. And actually, actually, we work a lot. You do. Uh -huh. Yeah. So we were just talking before <laughs> we came in here about your day today. Uh -huh. So you were injured, so you didn't practice this morning, but you uh -huh. were at practice helping run the practice mm -hmm. at 7 o'clock this morning. Mm -hmm. What was the rest of your day like? Well, I had lunch with JP yeah, and lunch, yeah. a meeting with JP. Yeah, lacrosse meeting. A lacrosse meeting, of course. Yeah. And I did some lifts. Yeah. Get weight training, 
And after that, I had like roll drill at the ground. Yeah. And I and came here. Right came now. here. So pretty much from <laughs> six thirty this morning until <laughs> now, and it's uh, seven o'clock at night right now. <laughs> right? You've been doing lacrosse, other than maybe stopping for lunch, <laughs> right? Which at lunch we talked about lacrosse. Yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah, we so, talked about the old players. Yeah, we were talking about the the US MLL yeah, All Star game that yeah. happened today. Yeah, so. Pretty much 12 hours or, or almost 13 hours. Now you're talking about lacrosse on a podcast. So, so that's how you spend a lot of time on lacrosse. I think that's pretty interesting, though, that um, you know there are many advantages to having professional coaches, obviously. But I think that there are this culture of everybody having to figure it out for themselves and having to really think about the game all the time. That really helps guys get better, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I was one of the co-captains when I was in my senior year. But, you know, we don't have daily head coach. So I had to watch so many films every day, every day. Well, I love Joe White, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just copied everything he did. And that really helped me a lot, you know. So there, you know, lacrosse, I mean, sports has no answers, right, during the game. You have to make past decisions about, you know, the coaches cannot tell you what to do during the game, right? So, you know, so our daily routine is going to be our going to be like that without coaches. So I think that helps me a lot, as Shun said. Right. Yeah. It's a really interesting perspective because it's so different from what we're used to. Um, Mickey, I got a question. What would you tell, if you could tell the 18 or 19-year-old Mickey who was just starting to play lacrosse mm-hmm. and coming to school at Tokyo, what would you tell him now? What advice um, would you give that guy? I think the biggest one is uh, uh, go to US first, yeah, and learn lacrosse. You know the main, you know, like real lacrosse first, and make friends, yeah, and talk a lot, right? Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Of so, course, of course, we can, you know, see the lacrosse in YouTube or some other, you know, but uh, how to shoot, how to throw, is a big difference, I think. Yeah. You had the opportunity to do that, yeah. Obviously, yeah. you hosted you. You've been to Michigan a couple of times. Yeah, and lacrosse has taken you all over the world. Yeah, right. You've yeah. also you've lived other places for work, right? You lived in England for a yes. while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just saw you in Hong Kong a few months ago playing lacrosse. And that's one of the really neat things about our sport mm-hmm. is uh, is it can give you these great life experiences. Yes, as well. Yeah. So, uh, Tomo, did you spend time in America? Yeah, I did a lot actually. So I visited on. Um, See you, yeah. Um, by your um, station when I was uh, in my junior year, I spent yeah. about maybe two weeks there. Right. I spent a week with the UMBC guys. Right. And in my senior year, I visited Maryland to play teams like Johns Hopkins, Towson. Right. Um, well, actually, it was Israel and McDaniel's Georgetown. So you know, I did have a lot of experience, and actually, I had. J, um, JP in my freshman year and sophomore right. year. Yeah. So most every year I had interaction with US lacrosse. Um, yeah, it's been amazing. What was that experience like being, uh, spending time with an American college, like being with those players? How was that different um, from what it's like here? It was so much fun, actually. Yeah, yeah, it was so American much fun. College students college know students. how to have fun. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I lived in their house and just stayed with them during practice um, classes, and it was so much fun to stay with them. And actually, actually, 
I was so amazed how they welcomed us. I mean, I had, I just became friends with them, but you know, they showed us around all over, like um, Colorado, um, just volunteered for that. And you know, I asked, why do you do that? And they said, you know, we, play, we all play lacrosse and we, that just makes us friends. It was so amazing to have that. You know. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's pretty special. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the things too for uh, American people, we're in the middle of summer right now. And like we really feel it here in Tokyo because it's hot. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's the middle of summer, so American students are not in school right now, mm -hmm. right? Their summer, they have three or four months off from college. What's the, uh, what's the Japanese college schedule like that you're still here right now in summer uh -huh. going to school? We start our school in April. It's yeah. a little bit different from the U.S. And we have, we have, we have no holidays until summer. We have like two, two months off. And we come back to school again in October. And we have like one week off at the New Year and Christmas. About like, yeah, at the end of the year. And we have a long holiday on like fe February, March, and little April, like yep. two months off. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's how our life So you goes. have a couple bigger breaks instead yeah. of one long one like we mm -hmm. have, right? So what do you do over those breaks? Just lacrosse, <laughs> <laughs> actually. So are most of you guys still here? Like you're not going somewhere mm -hmm. else? We don't. You're just a break from school, but, but life doesn't change that much other than that. It doesn't. Classes. Yeah. The class, you know, the class time turns a little bit to um, playing with your friends, but it's mostly lacrosse, actually. Right. right. Yeah, and I think that's pretty amazing. I think that's one of the things that I loved about when I was coaching the club team at Michigan and we were still able to host the Japanese players like Colorado is doing now. Uh, one of the things I loved was the passion that those players would bring. For us in that, that time, it was usually like April when you guys would come over. Mm -hmm. And it was right at the point of the season, that's late in the regular season for us, where it was becoming a grind, where our guys were starting to get tired of practice every day, mm -hmm. and maybe their energy wasn't the same every day. And then we would get these Japanese guys coming in who were like so excited to be there and so excited to play lacrosse every day and just wanted to have fun playing lacrosse. And it was contagious. Our guys were like, well, these guys love this. Like, mm -hmm. We should love it too. So there was a real benefit to us mm -hmm. as well to have you guys coming over and spending time. I'll bet the Colorado guys are feeling yeah. the same yeah. thing now. Yeah. Um, I want each of you guys to tell me a, a personal favorite moment that you had in lacrosse, if you can think of one. You don't, Shun, you should start because you've only had three years of lacrosse. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like you have to think that hard on a personal moment. <laughs> Well, I'm not sure because I, I didn't have like peak yeah. time. Oh yeah, when right. I was in freshman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I knew there's something in there. <laughs> yeah, when I was in freshman, yeah. um, you know, like we have a tournament for like freshmen, yep. and we want we became champs there. Like, and that was the best experience I think I had. It was like so exciting to be a champ. You know, like doing good plays, like scoring a goal and like making turnovers are great, but you know, winning as a team was the best thing I've ever had. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a great answer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. How about you? Um, I have a record two moments. Yeah, one is my uh, final four game in my senior year. So we went to the final for the first time. I think it was six years. Yeah, I will beat uh, University called Waseda in final four. Um, that was a long call, and I could shut off my um, matchup and pick up so many ground balls, and it was a very fun game. And the second moment was my uh, last year, and I was the head coach at the reserve team, mm-hmm. and we won the um, national title of reserve team championship. Right. And it was so amazing because, so I started playing lacrosse because I love lacrosse, and I carried on coaching because I love lacrosse. But last year, I learned how interesting team building is. Yeah. So the guys were not so talented. They were pretty bad in, at the beginning of the year. But you know, they got so united and won the game, um, championship in the final moment. So it was very amazing for me to learn the, how a team can grow in a year. As a coach, uh, nothing feels better than seeing the guys you're coaching reach their goals and feel really happy. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It feels great to yeah. see them celebrate. You're more than winning, actually. Yeah, yeah exactly. How about you, Nikhil? Um, it was 16 years ago. Uh, okay, yeah. When I was uh, fourth grade, yeah. the last season, uh, our team was in the semifinal. Uh, and uh, uh, the tie game, it was a tie game. And in the fourth quarter, the three minutes left was tied, like eight to eight or something. I got actually six goals in that game. Yeah. <laughs> I should mention, I did mention it earlier, Mikio is one of the greatest players ever playing. Yeah, yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, okay. yeah. All right, got yeah. that out of the way. Keep yeah. going. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so that's why the defensemen were coming to me, like two, three defensemen. So yeah. finally, uh, one midfielder uh, could go, get the goal. Yeah. So, you know, it was a big moment, you know, like, People were excited, you know. Yeah, that was actually uh, uh, thirty seconds left or something. Like right. That. And finally, I got the ball, and, and uh, I I threw the ball in the air, you know, the hoist off. Yeah. And, and that moment. That's at the moment, you know. Right. And the audience came from the you know the come down to the field and what yeah. kind of the party, you know. Right. Yeah. Was, Saw that uh, rush yeah. on the field. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The field. Yeah, that was amazing. Actually, I, I, you know, I was chosen as a national team member yeah. after that, and uh, I won the championship game as, as a club team member twice. Right. But you know that uh, fourth year grade, that that uh, semifinal game was a highlight actually. Yeah. Lacrosse moment. Absolutely. Yeah. I think any time you can, I think especially as a senior. If you can have that kind of experience with your yeah. teammates, it's pretty yeah. special. Yeah, it really is. So I should say, we just mentioned, you know, Mikio, you were a great lacrosse player. Um, why do you think lacrosse, why do you think you were good at lacrosse? Like, what was it about the sport and you that you were a good match? Um, I was playing baseball. Yeah. You know, so the shoot was nice. Yeah. Since I was freshman. Yeah, because you know, could turn your hips well and it yeah. was a natural motion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But, you know, like running and throwing was bad. Right. So actually I learned, you know, after starting lacrosse, because I, I got a big hit from defensemen yeah, when I was in freshman and you know, 
of mine. I couldn't, you know, defend my arm correctly. Right. So I broke bones many times actually. So, but uh, I think that I believed I was a number one shooter, you know. So I shot a lot yep. in practice every day, even like snowing days, you know, even like uh, New Year Eve every day. So I think that's why I was uh, uh, good, good at lacrosse. It's, uh, it's amazing how many people want to find just a, a magic solution to being good at something, mm -hmm. right? Whether it's lacrosse or, mm -hmm. or anything that they do, whether it's relationships or business or whatever it is. And there's usually no magic solution. Mm -hmm. It's just, yeah, just you have to get your yeah. reps. You have to yeah. put the time in. Yeah, you have yeah. to, as you were saying, sure, yeah. you have to have a plan every time you go mm -hmm. to do it so that you get it. You know, every single mm -hmm. time you do something, you're getting feedback and you're thinking about how it makes you better. Mm -hmm. So that's a great lesson, right? That's, yeah. that's well, obviously athletic ability and talent matters, but mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people can go a long way if they just think about the work that they need to put mm -hmm. in to get there. Yeah. Um, Shun, who's your favorite lacrosse player right now? Well, it's not actually a long stick. That's all right. Uh huh. I like Ma Machis best. Yeah. Why? Tony Black. Tony Black. Yeah. yeah. I, I like it. Yeah. And the goal that he scored against Loyola mm -hmm. in yeah. 2012. Yeah. I think it was like quarterfinal, but like he catches with one hand, like turned up, turned oh, around. Yeah, yeah, I know the one shot. you're talking about. Yeah. And, and shot. Yeah. I had to coach against him. It wasn't fun. He <laughs> 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 was really good. That was uh, awesome. Yeah. And, and you said that you modeled yourself after Joel White. Yeah. Uh, I have actually two more favorite players. Yeah. Um, they are Joe Fletcher. Yeah. And Brian Carlunas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I like Joe White because he's so athletic and very good with ground balls. But I love um, Joel and Brian because they are not so athletic. I mean, they're not so very physical. That's right. But they're very clever. Yeah. And they know, they know the game. I just love it. Yeah. Yeah. You have one with you? You got one that you like? Uh, no, I watched too many times and right. you know, like VHS America yeah. versus Canada. <laughs> yeah. So I still love AJ Hogan yeah. as a midfielder. That's yeah. a great one. Yeah, 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 yeah. I tried to pretend, you know, yeah. many, many times. A lot of the young people probably who are listening won't even know who that is. But all the older guys are just <laughs> yeah, AJ Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Um, so in all the years that we hosted Japanese players at Michigan. Um, you know, we had all different levels of players, some guys who, who weren't very good and some guys who were really good, like like you, like Harakan, like some of the guys mm -hmm. who came over. That had to, the first time you came over to America and played with American players, it had to give you some confidence when you got there and said, I can play with these guys, mm -hmm. right? That had to be, that had to help when you came back here yeah. then in your game. Yeah. Yep. I'm mm -hmm. sure, I'm sure it did. Mm -hmm. So the world championships are next month. Japan mm -hmm. is getting ready to go over there to play. Mm -hmm. What do you think and, and what do you guys think would be a successful world championship tournament for the Japanese national team this year? What do you mean the, the like place? What you, for them, mm -hmm. what would be a successful tournament? Mm -hmm. Right, what should their goals be this year? Mm, winning big teams like the US, Canada, and Iroquois. Getting an upset. Uh -huh, getting upset, right. 
that is the biggest success and you know okay is beating australia england and like becoming like fourth place yeah i think that's their goal right mm -hmm. right um last question world cup's going on right now japan made the uh bracket <laughs> at 16. they played belgium next mm -hmm. right what's your score prediction what's going to happen in the game <laughs> very hard to say you know I want them to win but what I think is 3-1 to Belgium oh <laughs> yeah. well you got three we got three one from Chile. Um, I'm pretty optimistic yeah I think the score is going to be 1-1 one, one, and yeah. Japan will win by the PK <laughs> uh, 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 what do you got Mikio I don't know too many people with more Japanese pride than you so. <laughs> uh, 2-1, Japan. There you go. That's what I <laughs> All right. Learn from your elders, sure. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, guys. Appreciate Thank you. you guys yep. talking with us today. I think, uh, mm -hmm. I think a lot of the people who listen to this are going to love you here from you. And, um, I will see you soon. Bye. So what'd you think about that? Listening to those guys talk about lacrosse in Japan and specifically lacrosse at the University of Tokyo with the Blue Bullets. Uh, I hope if you take anything away from it, you uh, appreciate one, the passion that go, those guys bring to the game. I mean, for them, uh, it really is something special. They, have, they don't take anything for granted. Uh, about lacrosse. They don't have it their whole lives. They don't really get exposure to it until they're in college. And college, honestly, college is a little bit different there. In Japan, everything's flipped on its head from what we're used to in the U.S. In the U.S., school is generally, you know, depending on where you go, but generally not that hard through grade school, middle school, and high school. Uh, it can get tough in, in high school, but it's in many cases, it's really not. It's in college especially if you go to a challenging school, which many lacrosse schools are, it's in college where it really gets tough in, in, in the academic load, uh, you know, really becomes a lot more challenging. In Japan, it's flipped around. In Japan, kindergarten, grade school, middle school, high school is the hardest part. That's, I mean, they are, they go to these cram schools in the weekends and they work so hard uh, to get, prepared for their standardized tests and then they have one big test in January and that one test pretty much determines where they can go to college and if you uh, if you do well and then the, the results of that test are published nationally so everybody sees how you did so if uh, if you did really really well you go to one of the top schools and uh, and then you know on down you're so the options for you change based on how you do on that standardized test or the tests they have so they they have these cram schools they go to on the weekends. Uh, so they go to school all week and then cram schools on the weekends. And that starts very young. And, they, and there's a lot of pressure. They work really hard. And then they get to college and everything's a lot easier. 
suddenly, yeah, it's not a walk in the park, but it's, it's flipped around. It be, it seems, seems much easier than what they had to go through to get there in the first place. And if you're a university of Tokyo student, these guys that, that I know and that I've been talking to, that is the best university in Japan. It's, it's their Ivy league all wrapped into one. It's always ranked in the, in the top, you know, 15 or 20 schools in the world. And it, it's, it's the one that, you know, most students in Japan are aspiring to get to if, if they have the academic um, qualifications to be there. So these guys have worked incredibly hard their whole lives, their whole lives, literally from the time they were little kids to prepare themselves to get to the University of Tokyo. And then they get there and it's like, ah, I'm here. Now, now I can coast a little bit until my working life starts. And so they, they have time now to pour everything into a sport like lacrosse. Um, and you can sense the passion. You can sense the work ethic. They want to get good fast. I mean, listen to Shun's answer when I asked him what he'd done all day on an, on an off day from lacrosse practice. And these guys practice. Their practices are like three or four hours. They're longer than ours are. Um, when I first got there, they were five-hour practices. I actually got them to cut down some, but I haven't gotten them to cut down as much as I'd like to see them cut down. And they uh, and it's hot there in the summer, like brutally hot and humid. It's like mid-Atlantic weather all summer. That's what they're practicing in. Uh, every day. Um, and then on an off day, what did he do all day? He did lacrosse. He, he was studying film and he's on the wall and he's working on his game and he's lifting and he's, he's everything he's doing on his off day is lacrosse focused. They are so passionate about it. And I think the other thing to appreciate is <clears throat> how little these guys have. Um, there is no NCAA, although Mikio mentioned that there is a push to change that in Japan that's really being spurred on by by football there. Uh, football, American football is getting bigger and bigger and has been around a long time in the colleges. All sports are basically club teams run by the students. Um, very few sports have full-time coaches. None of the lacrosse programs have full-time coaches. They're all coached by grad students or former players. Uh, and they're very bare budget. The schools don't provide any money. Um, they have decent fields. They don't have real locker rooms. They don't have offices. They don't have a place to watch film. They have to carry their equipment around with them all day. Many of them, they don't live on campus like we do in America or near campus. Many of them live quite a ways away, uh, maybe even still with their parents in Tokyo somewhere else. It might be a half hour, an hour crowded train ride to get to and from school every day. And they got to carry their gear with them a lot of days. It's, it's so, I think, you know, one of the other takeaways is to appreciate, you know, what we have in America and lacrosse in a, in a much more developed um, sports system and lacrosse system um, with sponsors and with the opportunity to and with with families that are used to spending income on on sports equipment and and sports teams that's not the case there so they really make do with so much less i posted a picture on my instagram uh, a little while ago if you if you look at it of one of the face-off guys for the tokyo team his glove and if you're a face-off guy you know that right glove grinding into the ground all the time gets abused and you go through gloves pretty quickly. We've had the same glove for a couple of years and I called it a zombie glove. That's what it looks like. It's just torn apart, but that's what he has. He, he doesn't, he doesn't have, it might've even been a hand to hand me down from someone else. That's the glove he has and that's what he's going to be playing with. So, um, amazing. Uh, and, and I really think that, you know, the passion these guys bring with so little, resources that they have to, to bring to the game and how good they get as quickly as they do is a real testament to uh, how they approach 
the game of lacrosse and teaching each other and taking responsibility for themselves. Um, one other thing each week I've been talking about uh, an influencer or, or somebody um, who I suggest, you know, if you're not already that you follow on social media or on their podcasts or, or on their YouTube videos or wherever you can find them or, or maybe a book to read. Uh, and in podcast number one, I mentioned the guys from Pure Sweat Basketball, um, Alan Stein, one of the founders. And Alan is, is now morphed into not just basketball training, but also being a, a big time leadership speaker and talks to Fortune 500 companies and, and has, has really taken off professionally in, in that realm. But, you know, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, he's also worked with a lot of the top basketball players, uh, along with Drew Hanlon, his partner, um, a lot of the top basketball players in the world, people like Kobe Bryant and Steph Curry. And, uh, and he's really skilled at, at working with these guys one-on-one -on -one to improve their game. Uh, and he, so he was on Paul Rabel's podcast not too long ago. And if you are not following Paul Rabel and listening to his podcast and watching what he does on his YouTube channel, you should be. Uh, he is, and I know a lot of you probably are. If you're involved in lacrosse, you're probably following Rabel. But pay attention. Um, there are very few guys who've been able to make a truly professional career out of lacrosse. He has done it in an incredibly smart, astute way. Uh, he's building his brand beyond lacrosse too, uh, as an entrepreneur, um, in the tech world and, and as a, as a host on his podcast, which is way more polished than this one right now, but we'll get there. Um, and he has some real influencers on a big level that he interviews. And one of those recently was Alan Stein, who I talked about a few weeks ago. And that interview was incredible. Uh, and I took a few things from it. I have a whole page of notes from uh, from the podcast, but I want to I want to highlight a couple that that Stein and Rabel talked about on the podcast. One is uh, you know they they were talking about the NBA Finals, which had just ended when they when they did the podcast, and um, and Stein made sure to mention that while Steph Curry scoring you know forty seven points in a random playoff game is incredibly impressive and gets all this attention and. And, you know, everybody's blown away by his ability to do that. He's far less impressed with that actual feat than he calls it the unseen hours that he put in to prepare to score 47 points in a playoff game. That's what he thinks about. He thinks when he sees somebody excel at a really high level, he thinks about the hours that person put in to get themselves ready to perform at that level, especially when all the chips are on the line. Uh, and, and it's such a great point because, you know, we're going to talk all the time. You'll hear it all the time. There are no shortcuts. And, you know, to get to where you want to be, it just takes work. He gave a great example uh, of the kind of work it might take. One thing he said was that uh, a lot of great players in sports, when they do an individual workout session to work on their game, they don't necessarily stop at a certain time. They don't say, I'm going to do 100 reps or I'm going to do uh, a half an hour of work on, on this right now. They stop when they, when they have ceased to, to be getting better 
in that series of reps. So if their technique is starting to falter because you don't want to practice poor technique, you want to practice really good technique. Uh, if their technique is starting to falter because they're getting tired, that's when they stop. When they recognize that, that they're not getting better from the reps, uh, that's, when, that's when they'll call it quits. And that's, that was an interesting point, not necessarily timed out, necessarily based on reps. It's based on the efficiency of the reps and if you're actually getting better from them. You talked about Kobe Bryant's process to build moves. He said, you know, he, he is one of those guys who was incredibly driven and would work so hard to get his game to where he wanted it to be. And he was always fine tuning and analyzing himself. And so, you know, you get to a certain level as, you know, one of the best players in the world, if not the best player in the world when he was in the league and, and at his height. And then he would notice, you know, maybe this particular move is not working for me quite the way it was a year ago or a couple months ago. I need to work on it. So rather than going and, and just working on that move to get it to where he wanted to be, he would break it down and use the part whole process. And he might spend a couple hours a day, you know, in the middle of the NBA season, working on parts of that move. And until he got one part done, he's not moving on to the next part. So if the start of the move is a jab step, a really important move from, from a triple threat position in basketball, a jab step to get your defender to react and see what he's going to do so that you can you know, dribble, make your move across his body or in front of his body, shoot, pass, whatever you're going to do from there. Uh, that jab step is the first part of the move you're going to make, the very first part, jabbing that foot into the ground in front of you. He might practice just the jab step for, you know, until, until he's not getting to where he wants to be or for a hundred reps of jab step, you know, before he moves on to the next part of the move. And he'd do that again the next day and again the next day until he is sure that that first little part of his move is exactly where he wants it to be. There's so much that can be taken from that for lacrosse players, uh, working on specific parts of moves to get to where you want to be for, uh, for the entire move that you're trying to learn to do or trying to perfect when you already have it. Uh, using that part whole process, really, really focusing on getting each part right before you move on to the next part, before you put the whole move together. And Kobe Bryant apparently was a master at that. Um, and then one other thing, this will apply to, to anybody. I thought this was pretty good for coaches as well, that um, – Alan Stein attributed to Frank Shamrock, something that he learned from him was uh, the plus equal minus system of influencers in your own life. <clears throat> and the plus being, so always having or trying to have three people in your life that uh, affect you in a certain way. And, and again, I'm stealing a little bit from, from some of the stuff that he was saying on this podcast, but these are the few points among many that really struck me. And, and his system, this plus equal minus system was having a plus being one person who's a mentor, one person who you really look up to, who does everything the way you want to do it or many things the way you want to do them. And they are sharing information with you and helping you get to where you want to be. So that's your plus person, a mentor. You can always count on for information and advice. Um, the equal is one peer to share with somebody who maybe you grew up with or, or a teammate or a fellow coach, somebody who, is on an equal ground with you um, and you're close enough that you can really share what's going on, the struggles you're having, 
the challenges you have, how they would deal with those things, your successes and your celebrations, having that equal. Uh, and then the, the minus, which isn't really a minus, um, but this is just the way it's put, is a person that you're mentoring. I have found that there's no better way to learn a game than to coach it. And, you know, you're always asking players to think more like coaches. Well, the best way for them to do that is to coach. And the best way to learn to be mentored and to learn to get better at the things you want to do is, is often to help somebody else get to where they want to be. So uh, that was Frank Shamrock's as, as told by Alan Stein's plus equal minus system. Those are the things uh, that really struck me, but there's a lot of great information from that podcast. So I urge you to go check it out. Uh, follow Paul Rabel, check out the things he's doing. Um, really pay attention for young lacrosse players, really pay attention to how he treats his body, the things he does in the mornings. He has a morning routine, which I really believe in, a morning ritual. He gets up and he journals and he plans his day out and he um, practices some mindfulness and some meditation to get his head right and, uh, and then attacks the day. And, um, you know, I think there's so much to be learned. He treats himself as an elite athlete in what he eats and the sleep that he gets and the workouts that he does. And, uh, and that's something that I think our sport can continue to evolve into more people who uh, can treat themselves and think of themselves as elite athletes and act that way. And I think he's as much as anybody in our sport has nailed it really worth a follow. So, uh, we are going to be back in the next segment as we wrap up for a quick Adrenaline and West Coast Stars update with John Ozisi. Stay, Stay tuned. tuned. We are back on with John Ozisi from West Coast Stars and Adrenaline Lacrosse. What's up, Jono? How you doing, JP? Doing great. Doing awesome. Uh, getting ready to have my parents over. Wife's out of town. Getting ready to have my parents over. Have a little barbecue tonight. So couldn't be better. Awesome, Meet, man. Sounds great. Yeah. Hey, anytime. Anytime we're barbecuing, life is good. Um, wanted to catch up with you really quick. I'm going to see you pretty soon at the NLF. But uh, before we talk about that, I wanted to catch up real quick. A couple weeks ago, um, Adrenaline Lacrosse hosted the All-American Games and the events around that in Dallas. Give me, give me a little recap on how that went. All-American Game is probably my favorite event that we do. Um, it's 55 of the best seniors in the Western United States. 90% of those kids have come through the system, either playing West Coast Stars or attending an adrenaline event. So you've known them for a long time, and it's kind of their final send-off and a little bit of kind of a reward for all their accomplishments. Um, and now with the venue at the Star in Dallas, there isn't a better venue for any sports um, event that, that goes on. So for the kids to be there and get that whole you know, treatment is kind of awesome. And you know, like I said, it's a great farewell send-off to, to guys, a lot of these guys that I've known since they were in the youth programs. So. Pretty neat to see them grow up and, and have this kind of opportunity, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's great for Adrenaline. I, you know, it's a great chance to showcase our apparel and, and give them all of our newest products um, as far as the gear goes. Uh, and again, the game was pretty competitive itself. I mean, a lot of these guys are all buddies, but 
you know, for the two hours that that game was going on, um, it was great to watch. And I happened to be able to commentate it. So uh, I enjoyed myself. It was fun. Nice. Uh, and then you added this year a women's version as well. Is that correct? Yep. As we try to grow the game, uh, you know, that next evolution for our company uh, has been a real conscientious effort to grow the girls' side of it. And all of our tournaments now have girls' component, uh, and this was the first iteration of the girls' All-American game, which was great. And it made it fun for the guys to interact with, you know, girls, and it just made it more special uh, as a whole. I was over on this Japan trip and couldn't go, but it is 100% on my list of things to do next summer. Partly because I want to see it. It looks like a really cool event, but um, but also, as you know, I'm a big Cowboys fan, and I still haven't seen any of the new facilities, so i got to get down there and see it. No question. Yeah, so. no, it, it's, it, it, it's first class, and this was the first year that the on-site hotel was open and that the on-site restaurants were open, and, you know, it just made it from last year to this year, it was even better because of all that, so. Well, it's great to see that event continue to grow and evolve. I remember going out as a college coach and, and recruiter and seeing – when you guys first started the event and it was tied into an LXM game and it was, it was neat. I mean, it was really neat. You were doing it, but it just seems like, you know, so much more of a big time feel now than it did then. So, you know, it continues to evolve as, as the game does and as, and as adrenaline and West coast stars does as well. Um, I think, you know, we have, we have a small tournament built in around it. So we have a lot of youth kids that were there to, to be in the stands watching the game and, Inside lacrosse, lacrosse all-stars, TLN. I mean, every media outlet was kind of on site. It was interesting to see all of them working together uh, in unison. You know, those three guys are all the big power brokers in, in the sport. And it was, you know, just legitimized everything, having all of them on site covering different aspects of it. No doubt. It's great to have that many outlets now that, that can you know, get the word out about events like this. But also really special that, you know, young kids can see – all of the older kids from the West playing an event like this because it just it gives them something to aspire to. It gives them a goal to reach. Yep. 100%. So, uh, and real quick, wanted to touch base. Next event up for West Coast Stars is the NLF Club Championships at Lehigh. Uh, I will be with you out there coaching the 2020s, but, but pretty much every Stars team will be there competing. And uh, it's the last event of the summer for West Coast Stars, and this tournament is stacked, yeah? Yeah, I think this is probably second to maybe Under Armour. This is the most competitive tournament that there is in the summer. And now that there's a championship format, you know, there's more on the line. Uh, and I think, you know, like I said to you earlier, I think kids not only are jacked about playing in this against the best and having all the coaches there, but, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel is there. Kids are kind of tired from a long summer, and you know this is the one last hurrah before they can shut it down for a few weeks, hopefully. Well, it'll be an exciting event, and and uh, it's you know for me not having not doing nearly as much in the summers as I used to do. I'm really looking forward to it because I you know it's been uh, it's been two three weeks since I've been around or a month almost since I've been around events like this, and I'm kind of jonesing for it. So it's going to be fun to be out there coaching these guys and and seeing what we can do. And you also, you mentioned uh, Under Armour and talk about, uh, and I know you're always involved in that and coaching um, the underclass team. Talk about how uh, some of the Western teams did in Under Armour and some of the Western players. Yeah, similar to the NLF, I I think every team in that event is insanely strong. Uh, I coached the older team. Uh, This year was a little bit down, but still made the top six, which in order to make the playoffs, you have to make the top six out of 12. So, that's always a success if you can make the playoffs in an event like that. And then our younger team um, won the whole event, which is just 
it's just monumental to, to sort of legitimize and, and affirm what we're doing that, you know, that the West can win an event of that caliber um, at any age level. But it was awesome. And those kids were so jacked up. They had a great tournament. So, you know, the future is bright. I think the 19 class is a little bit down in, across the country from what I'm hearing and in the West. But, you know, obviously the future is bright given how well the younger team did. No doubt. Bodes really well for, for a lot of these Western kids that are up and coming. That's awesome. It's a great step forward for, for Western lacrosse. Well, I appreciate you being on, buddy. And, uh, and I will see awesome. you soon. Safe travels. And, uh, and Looking that, forward to seeing you next weekend. Yeah, you too, buddy. Uh, and that wraps up podcast number three. We'll be back podcast number four very soon, where we talk to Pat Myers, the new head coach at Lafayette. Thanks, Thanks everybody. everybody. See you, see you soon. soon. See you soon.